So you think that everything that happened was kosher? You know there's not one single bit of evidence, not one little tiny bit, to suggest anything done was wrong. You know that. But you keep asking me these questions. It's okay. He, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're doing what you have to do. But I'm not worried about it. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with them. Welcome back to another big week on the Ruthless Variety program. That was uh, our journalist uh, and friend, good guy, Mike Allen, kind of a legend in, in Washington in circles in 2019 asking then candidate joe biden about the whole hunter biden thing and like kind of land a time bomb i mean that's not just like super defensive at the time (laughs) but it also digs him a deeper hole in the future because that's what the whole issue has now become well the good thing for joe biden is he doesn't remember the past so (laughs) he's incapable of shame because he has no recollection of that interview (laughs) yeah well i mean a terrible look and it's getting worse and worse by the day we have uh, testimony by devin archer in front of the house of representatives today behind closed doors that we will get into in this commentary this afternoon and we'll also talk about just the larger part of this and how it's all being framed which is completely ridiculous but we also just like to talk about ourselves a little bit at the beginning of the, every episode yes and uh you know we've got some big events that are uh, upcoming we got the Iowa one in August 10, which, by the way, is really coming together. And we're going to have some exciting guests that we will unveil. But we also have a venue that we can unveil, don't we, Michael? Yes, we have secured a location for this great uh, event. It's going to be at Johnny's Hall of Fame. Huge. In downtown Des Moines. Johnny's Hall of Fame in yeah. downtown Des Moines. Great sports bar, a lot of good pops on draft. It's going to be a good time. Uh, so we'll send out like an email and stuff to everybody who's bought tickets, but uh, this is your first notification. We do, in fact, have a venue. This thing is really happening, <laughs> and it's happening at Johnny's Hall of Fame on uh, Thursday, August 10th. Ah, oh, excellent, excellent. And we'll have more to announce about the Milwaukee. I would have had some meetings on it, and I just feel so excited about the Milwaukee one as well. It's going to be a big deal. The pre-debate game day style deal. Um yeah, we're all very excited about that. We got a great sponsor uh the program today, Secure Your Vote Virginia. They've been doing an incredible amount of work, uh, led by obviously Governor Glenn Youngkin. And today we have Dave Rexroad, who runs his political operation in to tell us a little bit about that and a whole bunch of things that they're doing in Virginia that ought to be replicated in every state across this country. Yeah, the guy really knows his stuff when it comes to Virginia. I mean, really when it comes to a lot of things in politics, but he's a preeminent expert on the state of Virginia. We're really lucky to have him. And and this is an issue we've talked about a lot on the show, and so hopefully our listeners are interested to learn more about this because it is so, so, so important. Totally. Incredibly important. You, You have to hear it. You'll understand what it is all about. We also, in keeping with our Virginia theme... We brought Hung Kao back. Mm. You recall Hung Kao ran for Congress in a very Democratic district uh, last year. Be that incredible story about uh, his military career, his immigration, his country, uh, how he found uh, Kennedy Jr. in the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that story? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's running for Senate now, mm-hmm. and he came 
uh, back with an incredible amount of energy and think lessons learned and all kinds of stuff. Very inspiring story. I think you'll enjoy. And that first ad, I mean, that got everyone's attention. Totally. Just killer ad. Totally. Killer ad. Um, so in, in, before we get into the, the meat of the politics, did you guys see that P.B. Herman died? Did he? Oh, yeah. Paul Rubens, the guy who played P.B. Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Rubens. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a light revolutionized children's television. I don't. I mean, I kind of remember him for taking his privates I mean, out. He's a real victim of the pre-internet economy. Let me tell you. You think so? I don't think so. What I do you mean so. you don't think so? I mean, what the guy's a child entertainer, then he get arrested on something like that? Well, you know what he got arrested for? Some bad stuff. He went. He, he went. Things. So he went back in like. This is hard for anybody who's like under, any like under fifty to understand. But at one point in America, they had adult theaters where <laughs> people would go to watch porn in public. With other people. With other people. Like there were seats like a movie theater. So this is what you want in a child entertainer? Well- I'd say no. No, I'm not saying that I'm not- I'd say this is a classic case of charges. I'm so, He was not well, locked up at the time. You know, it's funny, it's it funny it you should say it's a classic case of charges because that's exactly what he got because Pee Wee Herman went into this- Theater and it, at the time he was one of the most recognizable faces in American media. I mean, who could not recognize a guy in a great suit with the red bow tie and the, the haircut? I have like, to imagine he wasn't wearing that though when he was going in there. Oh, you don't think so? Maybe that's not. Thing. What you yeah. think he would have with glasses and a mustache? Maybe that was the just You think you think he wore the Pee Wee Herman getup when he went to? The I don't know porno if he wore, but he was recognized. He was recognized. He didn't have the gray suit and the yes. red bow tie. Yeah, is no. that what you're saying? Correct. But I was always the red I mean, bicycle. Like in retrospect, what did people think was going on in there? They yeah. were just taking in a matinee. Yeah, just like enjoying some hardcore porn in the theater. Well, he got locked up, and and I think that was a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by that. Lock him up. Lock him up. You know what he was a precursor to, by the way, is Blippy. What? That's what he's a precursor to. His in entire brand of child entertainment is what you see in Blippy. Wasn't Blippy a bad guy too? He should be locked up. I we think. Blippy, no. Blippy is is younger. My kids are are older. Than I think Blippy yeah. should be locked up. Why well, well, your kids are a bad Blippi. guy? Why are right? we Duncan? Why are we going to besmirch the name of Blippy? I think because if you've seen it, he's done some things I've heard. Wait, he's, I think I think he I, puts I, together some very educational content. You need to have more oversight of your kids' education. Okay, that is all right. That uh, is, okay. I, first of all, that's Pee Wee Herman's the guy that's eulogizing Pee Wee Herman, the I, guy I who expo anything. exposed himself. I said he was a victim of the pre-internet economy. Yep. I, I think Blippi should. Be I think Holmes up. gets charges first. Blippi gets locked up. hundred <laughs> percent. Blippi gets locked up. A lot of these people, honestly. Duncan's the guy trying to dismiss it because he was in. He wasn't in costume. Uh, let's just go to the, <laughs> something else. Can we talk he about something care. else? He didn't care that he was uh, not in costume. No, no. If you're not showing up in the gray oh suit and the God. red bow tie, we're like, what still are you, talking about it. What are you doing, Pee Wee? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I wanted to bring this up because this is just absolutely fascinating to me for so many, many, many reasons. Uh, USA Today. They've since changed their headline because a lot of us took some issue mm -hmm. with it, but they didn't change the point of the story, and they still contain this word in the story. The original headline of a USA Today piece this weekend, I'm not making this up. I'm reading it word for word. Hunter Biden's foibles provide ammunition for Republicans who want to inflict harm on Joe Biden ahead of the 2024 presidential campaign. Just his foibles. <laughs> 
Occasional dalliances. Yeah, you just, you know, I mean, like you're foibling around. Frivolity. Yes, a couple of foibles amongst friends. What a, it's an American tradition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a little foible. What's a few million dollars wired from China? Yeah, you know, it's I mean, a foible. That's <laughs> what it is. See, so you've got a, a Thai hooker with a thing with the feet and the, and the crack cocaine and all of that stuff. Foibles. Foibles. Yeah. Just some foibles amongst friends. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And now, you know, like 10, 20 million dollars in tax evasion. It's foibling around, just the fellas. <laughs> yep. Foibling around. I mean, that's the thing is we've seen always that, you know, the media is, we know they're on the side of Democrats, but the group who has remained true to Biden, I mean, they have absolute zero shame at this point where it's becoming so apparent mm -hmm. uh, the, the level of corruption mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and decency that was happening in this crew. And they will stick by it and be like, oh, this is just, you know, a Republicans pounce kind of story. Mm -hmm. When just we're talking about blatant corruption. When blatant you've got a vice president corruption. on, on, on a speakerphone with people across the world doing business with his son. I mean, these are just bad people. Did you see the Friday news dump on uh, people? Oh, yeah. Where they're talking about, you know, how graceful Joe uh, and Jill Biden are and recognizing the four-year-old daughter that their son Hunter sired and ignored <laughs> well it's a foible a classic foible your classic you know it's a goof him up it's like he just go he goofed and then you know when they hung six stockings at the white house for all six of the grandkids yeah. and then and then threw one up for that predator dog yeah too. the dog that bites everyone yeah and then just like a didn't they essentially the said grandchild that child's less than a dog is essentially what that point is being made when they do things like that and to be like Oh, look at the grace of this nice guy. Like the, Your the classic whole, foible. This mythology of like nice guy Joe has been just so completely shattered. Yeah. Like it's very clear the guy is a monster. He's an asshole. He has a horrible family that does terrible things. And this is among the most disgusting that they do. Is yeah. this girl, through no fault of her own, is essentially being attacked by the president of the United States. They refuse to provide her with any sort of secret service protection when she was under threat of uh, violence from, from the mother's ex. They, they refused to let her, they sued and didn't let her have the last name of her father. It's a, That's it's, how sick these I mean, people are. You know, you're just foibling around and the next thing you know, you got a four-year-old. And the media really described them as gracious over the weekend? It, it was, I can't remember was it the people exact, magazine? yeah, it was like some, it was some like glossy People Magazine yeah. piece, you know, so I, I, I don't have it pulled up now, but it was. Yeah, pretty, it was pretty laudatory of uh, the Biden's family. Like, it takes uh, real courage to do this. Yeah. Let me just tell you what happened there. What happened there is there's an awful lot of people like us on this program who've talked about it that fall into that sort of different category where you're going to have to prove wrongdoing to mm -hmm. us for anybody, right, left, and center, for us to, like, jump on. We're not like, you know, we want it, we want to know. And there's an awful lot of people unlike us who are in the center of the electorate who have that same approach to to the Bidens and everything else, that the one thing that Joe Biden has had going for him is he a family man, right? They remember the Bo Biden stuff. They remember everything. This is a guy who's got integrity and he's a, puts his family first. Like, there's never been a, more of an undercutting of that narrative than a grandfather refusing to acknowledge the illegitimate granddaughter that he has. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just destroys the narrative that this guy is... Completely. You know, because, I, I mean, look... If you are capable of erasing a human being because it's politically inconvenient, you're capable of anything. That's And it went to your own blood. Yeah. You're capable of anything. And so I'm guessing that they found out in the course of the campaign, remember they just started running one, that this was an actual problem. And so like, hey, let's dust that out in People Mag. 
on a Friday night. My, Let's get out from underneath that. I pulled up the uh, the People Mag piece, and my favorite quote here from uh, Joe Biden is when he was on a podcast and said, quote, they're crazy about me, and I'm crazy about them, referring to his grandchildren. Oh, man. Every single day, I contact every one of my grandchildren. This is what he said in a podcast last year. It's like, oh, yeah. All six. A little foible. You go ahead and you forget one oh, for a couple years. Around. <laughs> and you know, what, what's interesting is so I'd heard over the weekend uh, from someone who works in this line of work that focus group testing has shown uh, more voters don't like the fact that Joe Biden refused to acknowledge this grandchild yeah. than they do about any of the Hunter Biden stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was getting at, right? There's people who like, you got to prove that this is... But we're going to assume that this guy is somebody that we sort of understand and know and voted for in 2020. But then you get to a point where it's like something like this and yeah. it destroys the narrative. That's because it. it speaks to somebody's character well, at a personal it, level. Yeah. Talk about their character on a personal level. It took a focus group for this little girl to get a press release acknowledging yeah. her existence and that's on a exactly, Friday night from Washington, That's exactly my The guy thinking. is fucking scum. It's, yeah, it's it, it's, that's totally my thing is I bet Nita Dunn or somebody over there saw that, oh, this is a vulnerability. Let's get rid of it. Let's get people to handle it. Yeah. yeah. Unbeknownst yeah. to Navy, you know, the little girl and her mom. Mm -hmm. that just fought for three months to try to obtain a Biden name that they were denied. And they just sued her in court to cut uh, even more of the money that she does get. We Regretfully, that I don't know if she's actually receiving because now there's stories that Hunter hasn't even been giving the money. Well, he's been foibling around. We, we've, yeah, we've worked in politics a long time. I, I don't remember ever hearing a Republican suggest that we should call People Magazine to get them to help us <laughs> out imagine? in the situation. It's like, why would anybody ever pick this magazine up from a grocery store? Well, because they don't know anything about politics and they proved it again. Uh, let me, let me uh, remind you all before we move on, the dictionary definition of foible is a minor weakness or eccentricity in someone's character. Oh, Incredible. That's great. That's perfect. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Um, so we all have been noting the big testimony that has come out uh, on Monday. Devin Archer, a former business partner who's got his own legal issues, which we can talk about in a second, um, is testifying before the House of Representatives after like previously denying twice that he would show up. Finally did show up. And all the reports were that he would confirm that Joe Biden, then vice president, spent time on the phone with Hunter and prospective clients talking about uh, representation. And, and therefore closing the loop you recall it started with i've never talked to hunter about his business dealings right then it moved to i was never in business with hunter and now it is this guy who's going to shatter that second barrier to say that not only was he uh potentially in business but he was like the key linchpin mm -hmm. to closing up these clients and getting them on board with hunter because mm -hmm. why else would you play pay a, a crack addict with a feed fetish to do your you know energy uh consulting work mm -hmm. right yeah so uh that had happened and as as of right now we know that this guy testified that there was at least 20 contacts in a variety of different ways chad program of fox news read out some of this stuff um that archer testified that they believe that there was value 
of adding Hunter Biden to Burisma's board because of the brand. Mm. And by what he's talking about, when you hear, you're going to hear this over the next couple of days, yep. the brand, the brand, the brand. They're not talking about Burisma, Burisma's brand. They're not talking about Ukraine's brand. They're sure as hell not talking about the United States' brand. They're talking about the Biden exactly. brand. The argument, this is according to Chad, the argument was that then Vice President Joe Biden brought the most value to, quote unquote, the brand. Archer also stated that Burisma would have gone under if not for, quote unquote, the brand. Mm. Uh, in December 2015, uh, this dude who was an owner of, of Burisma and another executive of Burisma placed constant pressure on Hunter Biden to help uh, to get help from D.C. regarding Ukrainian prosecutor Victor Shokin. Shokin was investigating Burisma in corruption. Now, why do we remember all of that, fellas? You remember this? I remember this. We remember this because uh, Joe Biden did a speech at the Council of Foreign Relations, I think it was in 2018, where he bragged openly about the fact that he was not going to release American aid to Ukraine unless he got them to commit to firing a corrupt prosecutor. Who was the corrupt prosecutor? His name was Victor Shokin. Bingo. And Victor Shokin's number one target was Burisma. Mm. Oh, okay. So just for those of you following at home and have a little tougher time following all of this, Hunter Biden obtained the client Burisma and sat on their board with compensation, sounds like in the millions. Yeah. At some point, because of a conversation that then-Vice President Biden had with people related to Burisma about the brand of Biden and how it would help what it is that they're doing. Sometime later, their number one problem in becoming a profitable company was this constant nag of a prosecution by this guy, Victor Shokin, in Ukraine. Biden, at the Council of Foreign Relations, says that he would not release the aid to Ukraine unless they fired this guy. So they fired this guy, got the aid, American aid to Ukraine. Okay, well, you tie all of that together. If that's not classic corruption, I don't know what is. It's fellas. straight up cash and carry government. It's, 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 it's laughable. It's like to the point where you, I don't know, as an American voter, as a person who's followed government pretty closely for the last 20 years, I've never even heard anybody suggest something quite so brazen. Mm. Have you? No. I mean, it, 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 those are, that's a fact pattern. And, and I, didn't me, do any, I didn't do any of the alleged motives behind any of this. The fact pattern is he got him to hire him. They paid him tens of million dollars. The problem went away. And none yeah. of it would have emerged if we didn't have this majority in the House that is pursuing it like a dog with a bone. I mean, like Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan, the entire group of House Republicans are doing absolutely everything they can to uncover this stuff that if we had an unbiased media – the media might be doing some of this on their own. It's not like this guy Archer has been under a rock. I mean, he exists. And to me, like you said, Holmes, that you know how it could not be more brazen. To me, that's the most infuriating aspect of this is the Biden family felt they could do this openly. Openly. Yeah. Because they knew. He talked like, about it in his speech to the council. And, for exactly, they, they're they, like, we have a press who will run cover right. for us. We're Democrats. We're we allowed get away to do with whatever it. we want. It's a, yet again, another instance of that whole hierarchy, not hypocrisy right. kind of thing. They want to let everyone know, hey, listen, it's different for us. We can do whatever the hell we want. Right. And if you want to get like deep down the conspiracy hole here, 
Just recall, this is the reason why President Trump was impeached the first time. It's incredible. There's a president who's been impeached over this, but it's not Joe Biden. But I mean, it's that's not the Joe Biden. Here. Like, he, he was, uh, albeit ham-handedly with Rudy Giuliani and the rest of that clown car, mm-hmm. attempting to uncover what, what we now all know, and they knew at the time, that this had happened. Mm-hmm. But instead of this all becoming public, he got impeached. Mm-hmm. He got impeached. I mean, quickly thrown out of the Senate, but impeached nonetheless. And it is easy to see how you can have a deep skepticism about the motives of Democrats in Washington, D.C., your Justice Department and everything else when you see that nobody was looking into any of this shit other than Donald Trump and his band of idiots that, you know, albeit didn't do it quite perfectly, but they had the information and nobody listened. Nobody listened. Yeah. Nobody would believe that Joe Biden could do something like this. Well, you're finding out now, mm-hmm. as you said, because of Jamie Comer. Right. And and I got to be honest with you, man. It's it's so discouraging that people this is the reason why people do not do not subscribe to mainstream news. This is the reason why they're turning off and they're turning on to to other sources of information, because they know that. The, the mainstream press literally runs interference for one half of the power structure in Washington. And any time Democrats are in charge of an administration, that they're just going to get away with anything and nobody, nobody's going to hold them accountable. The last time, actually, the last time I remember the mainstream press holding a Democrat accountable was on the stimulus. It was in 2009. So we're talking 15 years ago when Obama's stimulus program. They're just funneling money with, into, into 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 non-existing congressional districts. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember this, yeah. but I mean, it was it was wall to wall mainstream press. And it's like something has happened in the last in the last 10 years, 15, 15 years, in the last 15 years where they just refuse to attack a Democratic administration. Well, it's because activists have taken over the newsrooms. The, 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 there's no a generation of activists who have taken over newsrooms and made it clear that there is only one viewpoint that's allowed here. The other viewpoint is considered you're a Nazi mm-hmm. and we will do everything in our power to ruin your life if you try to cover news unbiased right that's not that's not news gathering that's partisanship yeah it totally is and i mean look just to put a bow on this the uh, archer testified that hunter biden put then vice president joe biden then vice president like this isn't post professional career like this is then vice i mean just imagine that put him on the phone uh, on speakerphone during meetings over 20 times wow Archer testified that Joe Biden was put on the phone to sell the brand. Now, you heard a bunch of Democrats come out that say, oh, with small talk, they were talking about the weather. Daniel Goldman, yeah, the absolute ridiculous uh, congressman from New York said, oh, they were talking about weather. Hmm. 20 times. You know how sometimes you'll be like, can you get me the vice president? I want to talk about the weather. Yeah, I'd like his meteorological views uh, this afternoon. I'm not sure. Could we get a storm front? (laughs) Well, you think it's going to rain today, vice president? (laughs) (laughs) The phone calls include a dinner in Paris with a French energy company and in China with Jonathan Lee of BHR. Uh, In the spring of 2014, then Vice President Biden attended a a business dinner with his son, Hunter, and associates at Cafe Milano in D.C. with Elena... Putrina, a Russian oligarch who is the widow of a former mayor of Moscow. Uh, the interesting part about that, uh, they did a lot of sanctioning of oligarchs during the Obama administration. You know who didn't show up on that? Buterina. You're no. kidding me. Uh-uh. Surprise. Are you kidding? Nope. I think it's a coincidence. 
That's got to be. It's foibling around. Foibling around at Cafe Milano. (laughs) In the most public place. I mean, that shows how brazen this is. The most, if you were to go. See and be seen. If there's one reservation that you make in all of Washington, D.C. that you want to be seen at, it's Cafe Milano. Yeah. Because it's like like the page six destination of Washington, D.C. It's the Brown Derby in 1950. He's like, oh, I'm going to bring a Russian oligarch widow and then we're just not going to. Nobody will say anything. Right. I, it's. I mean, they, they. I. I can't get over these. This is just. I, it's. It's infuriating, man. It's, it's infuriating. It, it's infuriating. Um. So uh, the other thing that you saw over the weekend is that there was some reporting in the New York Times about a sixty million dollar, uh, refund request that shows financial pressure on Trump from legal fees. The political action committee that has been paying former President Donald J. Trump's legal fees requested a refund and $60 million contribution that it made to a super PAC supporting a Republican frontrunner, the Republican frontrunner supporting Trump, according to two people familiar with the matter. Uh, The issue there, uh, cutting through all of that nonsense that may not make sense to you, is that Save America, uh, the principal pack supporting uh donald trump and his run for president was paying 40 million dollars in legal fees which there's an awful lot of discussion and there has been a long time about their solicitations versus where the spending goes the solicitations was were all about like win this election for x uh help us do ballot harvesting help us do all these other things and then you saw like 40 million dollars go out the door for legal fees um some people have a problem with that some people don't it seems noteworthy it's very noteworthy and i got to take a victory lap because i brought this up uh two weeks ago when we did the brian kemp um episode you sure did and we were talking about um desantis's burn rate and people were getting nervous he's spending too much money too fast a lot of that legitimate i think it's legitimate criticism but i what i mentioned is like the Trump campaign is just one entity. They've got the Save America, this JFC, and then they have MAGA Inc. And MAGA Inc's been running all the attack ads. And this JFC has been handling all, a lot of the overhead and turns out $40 million of legal fees for Trump and Trump um, employees or, or, or people who work for, for the PAC. I mean, everything from Jan 6 stuff um, uh, to these various indictments. The, the thing that I think is important for people to know about this, because I think it is a serious cash crunch for Donald Trump, um, is this represents the spending of the last six months. Mm-hmm. So January 1 to June 30th. The Mar-a-Lago docs indictment was the beginning of June. Yeah. This is That's one month. That. That's before all that. Yeah. And we have to think, you know, another indictment is coming. So these costs are only going to go higher and higher and higher through the rest of the year. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, look, as a, as a Trump donor, and we're just providing you information here. And you can think of it what you will. I will tell you, I got a problem with it. But the idea that you're somehow soliciting donors for a political cause that ultimately never makes it to the political playing field is rough for me. Yeah. I think that's a rough deal. Now, now it's out in the open and people choose to donate. God bless you like you you can choose to do it you can make a substantive argument that the legal fees are a necessary deal because of his targeting of the justice department Mm -hmm. by the by the justice department yeah um you can make that argument if you want they didn't which is where i have a problem with it if if you're telling donors you're going to do something with the money that they are spending their hard-earned dollars and low dollar increments to do and then you turn around and do something else with it 
I feel like that's problematic. My my prediction for this situation is he will be able to continue being like the king of small dollar yep. fundraising. I don't think there's going to be a cash crunch. I think he can send out a solicitation directly for the legal fee. Say, hey, you know, I'm being yet again targeted by the Justice Department. We're trying to put together, uh, a, you know, a special legal defense fund. Once you give today, and I bet they would just do gangbusters. So, so it's funny you actually say that smug because I think on Sunday they filed for a separate legal entity to do just that thing, which I think tells you they looked at this and they they saw the pushback to it and they understand it's a little unseemly to be paying for lawyers out of this JFC, and so they've created a new entity. But I got I disagree with you, smug, that there isn't a cash crunch because as the story says. The JFC tried to get $60 million back from the other entity, MAGA Inc. Mm-hmm. So they know there's a lot more coming down the pike, like on on the legal fee front. And, and like I, that's 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 serious money. I also remember, I want to say it was, was it September of 2016 that there was that FEC report for Donald Trump that everyone was like, oh boy, looks like they're out of money. The guy still won it. Yeah, but he also ran out of money in 2020. He, he had to go down on television ads for like six or seven weeks in the fall. Chris Lasavita said it here on the show that he recalls that because he was working for the super PAC that had to fill in the gap. Yeah. It is a serious problem if you spend all this money on lawyers and you have nothing for the general election. The best, I'm argument, telling you, the guys, best argument that I've heard is from competing campaigns when they will say, those dollars that you believe are going to f- defeat Joe Biden are not ever making it to one penny defeating Joe Biden. Like those dollars just went to defending criminal allegations against Donald Trump and his associates. That's, I think, in a political context, the best argument going against Trump, because, I mean, you can't really defend that. That is that we are outgunned on the dollar front no matter what. Yeah. And that's a discouraging thing. It's, you know, it's nice that they file a separate entity, but this is an unfortunate story. You guys want some animal news? Of course. You see this fake Chinese bear? I did. I love this story. Dude, Smug's been all over this. Dude, dude Smug, give us your, give us your. Okay, so this is from uh, the AP. Uh, a zoo in eastern China is denying suggestions that some of its bears might be people in costumes after photos of the animals standing like humans circulated online. Um, folks who are watching on YouTube, take a look at these things. Oh my This is like, God. I think it's, if you look close enough, I think it's even wearing flip-flops, it looks like. <laughs> It's incredible. For me, for me, it's it's clearly a two, like it's the two piece suit where the pants are all ruffled in the back at the ass. Yeah, it's like very clearly a human being and not a bear. So the it, pic- it looks just like ill fitting jeans. Yeah. yeah, the the pictures got to me the 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 patent leather uh, paws uh, <laughs> that it's standing on got to me. But what really took the cake in my mind is the social media account. Did you read, and I quote, this is a post from the zoo's social media account, quote, some people think I stand like a person, said the post written from the bear's point of view. It seems you don't understand me very well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, sometimes a bear just looks like he got too big of a suit to wear that. Yeah, he just, he just posted just, on social media. He's just standing up right by the fence. <laughs> uh, just, you know, normal bear things. What's hilarious is it, it, it continues. Uh, in general, about the situation going on in Chinese zoos. It says, other Chinese zoos have been accused of trying to pass off dogs dyed to look like wolves or African cats and donkeys painted to look like zebras. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just throw out the old paint set. <laughs> like, what, what what animals we got in here? What are you doing? Well, I'm taping up the horse. I got to get the stripes on yeah. that sucker this afternoon. <laughs> got the masking tape going around. Let's get that. Like, someone get me a ladder. We're going to turn this donkey into a giraffe. <laughs> they just they super glue a horn to a horse's head and say they got a real-life unicorn. It's a unicorn. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I can't believe that. But, yeah, I mean, this was so amazing. Just the photos of this bear, I highly encourage. It's another reason for you folks listening. Check out the YouTube because this image of this bear... I mean, it took me like an hour to stop laughing. Dude, it is unbelievable. I, I, you know, I think we're we recognize that China is our number one geopolitical <laughs> foe, but stuff like this, and I remember also like during the Olympics, remember when they were doing the super G, and then they like panned out, and it's like a wasteland oh, next, yeah, to a, next to like a nuclear reactor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, every once, and then you see like also in China, they've got these completely failed cities that they built like a thousand skyscrapers and nobody and lives no there. no one lives there. So like every once in a while, you get like a little <laughs> sense that China's maybe a little out over their skis. It ain't, yeah. it ain't exactly how it appears yeah. as it is with the zoo. Uh, all right. So I want to go to Dave Rex Road next. Uh, you're going to want to hear this information about Virginia. I want to welcome to the program an old friend, a guy that I've worked with for a long time. He's an extremely talented political, political operative. Uh, he's behind, he's the man behind almost everything that you see regarding uh, Glenn Youngkin these days. And we've seen a lot with Governor Youngkin. Uh, you recall the Secure Your Vote Virginia effort uh, that we've talked a lot about on the program. Uh, that and a lot more we want to talk about with Dave Rexroad. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, listen, pal, you're staying really busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after eight years of the RGA, I thought I'd take a little bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Not the see, case. see the kids a little bit, maybe enjoy a little bit of a vacations. And now I am in the middle of, of what could be a $150 million state legislative fight in Virginia this year. Not, not exactly the vacation that my wife and kids had thought I'd be having after, uh, after eight years. Of the no, RGA. it seems like if anything, you, you ramped up the volume, <laughs> ramped up the volume, but I'm not having to, I just drive to Richmond now, as opposed to drive to, to Reagan and hop on a plane to some far away state every, yeah. every week. Yeah. Well, your RGA hat, uh, clearly off at this point, you yes. get to focus on your <laughs> oh, great home of Virginia, but let, I want to start with the secure your vote, Virginia. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about it on the program. Uh, obviously, a lot is needed for the Republican Party nationwide to try to figure out how to close those early vote gaps. Governor Youngkin stepped into the breach uh, and had an incredible, what I thought, an incredible introduction to Virginia voters about the importance of, mm -hmm. of getting their vote in the box. And uh, you guys have made a big initiative out of this. We, we have. And look, the, the governor, uh, as your listeners and viewers know, it, you know, his background is in basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he went to Rice. It's a big part of of his of his life, and he views this as as you know a basketball metaphor. And for too many years now, our party has basically been sitting on the bench. Tip off has happened. Our players are sitting on the bench watching the Democrats run up and down the court making free baskets, mm -hmm. uncontested baskets, and then we roll around and two minutes left and we're down to points and we get mad that we haven't been playing the game. <laughs> Start bombing threes. Exactly. Because we, <laughs> we haven't we haven't played by the rules from from the tip off until the buzzer sounds. And mm -hmm. so we wanted to take a different approach this year. Yeah. And we decided that we had to tell voters you've got to get off the bench, you've got to get in the game, you have to participate. There are four ways to do that. You know, we don't care which four ways you do, but you've got to trust that if you get your vote by mail, 
is going to count. And so through the website, screwyourvotevirginia.com, you'll be able to track your ballot to make mm -hmm. sure it's received, that it's processed, that it's counted. Um, we're obviously pushing people to early vote because we can't, as a party, continue to try to make up for just on election day. We lost too many races last year in 2022 because we didn't have that full operation across yeah. the country. And so we have to fix that and it this takes, year. And it takes a lot of the subjectivity out of it where you can focus your resources on groups who haven't voted, <laughs> right? I mean, if you can check and, and track your ballot and know who's early voting, you're not just sort of blowing resources on a whole population that has already put their vote in a box. Exactly. And look, I mean, we're, we're all physical conservatives. The more we can save and not have to send you five mail pieces and 15 text messages, that saves resources to put someplace else. And so from a fiscal side, it's a, it's a great advantage for us as well. Are you guys getting good feedback from Virginia voters on that? Look, so far, um, the, the signups through the website have exceeded what our expectations were. Mm -hmm. um, we worked with, with all parts of our party um, mm -hmm. to understand the process, to, to engage in it. So we really had it, haven't had any real pushback because they understand that we just can't ignore this. We, we've lost too many elections because we've ignored it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a statewide effort across the state. Everybody's working it. We've got county fairs and parades where we're handing out flyers with QR codes, ask people to, to sign up. And so, so far, we've been thrilled with, with the participation level. No, that's excellent. Well, it's a model for everybody else to use. That's no question about it. I mean, if you can get, which is a bluish hewing state, and Governor Yunkin sort of shocked the world with his victory over Terry McAuliffe, if you can get that to start performing in a purple or even reddish hue, Boy, anything's possible. Right? Everything's possible. And look, we we brought in the best. We brought up Governor Kemp's team, who I watch very closely. I yeah, fund a big good, portion of that effort last dudes. year through the RGA. We yeah. brought them up. Obviously, my role at RGA, I saw you know thirty six races last year. What worked, what didn't work. So we kind of put it all together, taking the next step. And then look, once this election's over with. You know, the governor wants to share it with with everybody. You know, this isn't something that's going to be proprietary. He wants every Republican across the country to see this is the path to do this. Um, you know, we've already talked to the RNC and kind of filled them in on what we're doing as they kind of build out their bank the vote effort. We're seeing some of the things that they're doing um, are very close to what we've already started running there, which is yeah, good to that's see. Great. And so we want everybody to see this as a program to execute as we prepare for, for 25, 24, 25, and obviously 26 as well. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the most impressive political sides of Governor Yunkin is what you just said. He's focused on the party building mm -hmm. aspect of that. And that includes putting a good product on the field. Mm -hmm. And I know you all have been deeply involved in ensuring you're recruiting and then supporting candidates in a primary who can get the job done. Right. Which yeah. is important. important Look, again, it, it goes back to, to what I said, you know, the governor views this, you know, he's a basketball guy in order for us to win. We think we have to have three components. First, we have to have, you know, the players on the court that are prepared to that the skill and the talent to, to win. We have to be able to play from from tip off to the buzzer, following mm -hmm. the rules, mm -hmm. and then we've got to have the crowd into the game. Um, mm -hmm. And so, if we have all three of those aspects, then we've got a great opportunity to to be successful. No, these aren't easy. You know, this isn't this. No, isn't, I mean it's still these, Virginia. It's still Virginia, <laughs> and these these aren't you know slam dunks. I mean, you're looking at in the Senate, we've got seven seats. Mm -hmm. The governor won three of the seven. Our Republican congressional candidates lost all seven mm -hmm. last year in the yeah. House. There are ten toss ups. The governor won seven of them. Congressional Republicans lost all but one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, this is still a tough fight, but we've got the, the candidates we needed. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the governor, we weighed in on primaries. And you went 10 to 10, if I'm not mistaken. We, we went right? 10 to 10 because, look, if we don't have the right players on the court, yeah. you can't win. And yeah. we, we, look, we saw that a little bit in 2022. A little bit? A little bit. A little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't necessary bit. the, 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 the night we were all expecting. And I think a lot of that was, you know, we didn't necessarily put, 
our you know our five stars yeah onto the court yeah and we you got a couple of mcdonald's all-americans sitting on the bench that's not, that's not it, great it, it's not great and <laughs> and so when we looked at these races this year i'll use the senate as a great example we have seven races mm-hmm. and we went and said who can win these races we have we end up getting you know three women as our nominees a teacher and OBGYN. yeah we recruited an african-american naval officer to run in virginia beach we have a, a hispanic small business owner in 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 Loudoun County, we recruited two law enforcement officers, one of whom worked for both Obama and Trump mm-hmm. fighting child prostitution. Yeah. You know, yeah. those are our nominees because they can win. Yeah. yeah. And you're not trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. Right? No. And, I mean, and these and are people from, that reflect their communities. Reflect they... the communities. They can communicate and they have teams around them that know how to win, that know how to execute races. It's just kind of music to your ears. It, I mean, it? It, it really is. And I love the basketball analogy because at the end of the game, there is a winner and there is a loser. And there is definitely a premium on a commitment to victory. And you mentioned $150 million. I've never, for, for, a, for a midterm in a state, like that's got to be some kind of record in Virginia, especially. Right? It, it is. I mean, we're, I mean, we're going to be outspent. I mean, the governor's doing. That's even wild. You know, the governor's <laughs> raising a lot of resources and, and we're, you know, the, our candidates are raising a lot and there's outside groups coming in. But it's, I mean, Soros dropped, you know, 250 last week alone. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, it's, we're going to be outspent um, massively. And for us, it's, you know, do we have the resources and, you know, which is why, you know, we're doing secure your vote. Virginia, because we know we can lock in those voters. Yeah, you know, if you look at our, our election, we did some modeling, and you know, look, we're we're running a gubernatorial level data project for these House races. Yeah, and Senate races. The governor's data teams come back. We've refreshed everything. We're using AI. We're using modeling to tell these voters who you need to talk to. Mm-hmm. One thing we found is there were five hundred and five thousand people who voted in twenty twenty one who liked the governor personally approve of his job performance and want a Republican candidate that will pass his initiative that skipped the 2022 election. That's unbelievable. Where, you know, we almost beat, we could have almost flipped the 10th. We could have almost flipped the 7th. Well, it's so funny about that because historically you think of, of off year elections, 21 versus a midterm in 22, historically speaking, the, the volume of political information is so much that you get higher turnout no matter what. And though out of that particular segment, you just didn't. They, they just didn't show up. And now, oh, part of it, they're all in the Northern Virginia media market. And yeah. it's a different. Northern Virginia is a little bit different than, yeah. than the rest of Virginia and, frankly, the rest of the country. Yeah. But when you have half a million people sitting at home, that that's an opportunity. Look, for, for us, again, it goes back to the basketball analogy. You know, we need the crowd support. You know, we need Duke Carolina, <laughs> not Duke versus Davidson. Nothing against Davidson. <laughs> but, like, we need the excitement. And <laughs> what we're seeing is the higher the turnout we see this year, the better off we're going to do. No question about it. Which one's counterintuitive to what the narrative is from the press, that Republicans are trying to suppress the vote, they want lower turnout. Yeah. The more people that vote, the better off we do. And so we're trying to really drive that in all of our races. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is, we've talked about this before too, is the shifting demos within the Republican Party, right? And the one thing that Youngkin has done just exceedingly well and never taken his eye off it is sewing together both your traditional Republican party voter over the last 10, 15 years with new opportunity in rural and exurban mm-hmm. Virginia. And we've seen a lot of Republican candidates across the country sort of shift into one and away from another. Mm-hmm. And and he's had the appeal within the Northern Virginia suburban electorate that frankly didn't turn out for Republicans nationwide. But he also got that sort of traditional quote unquote MAGA base and put it all together. So, that, I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is making sure you've got all of these folks together fighting under the same tent. 
Yeah, I mean, look, the, what's at stake is just is remarkable. I think as we highlight really what the differences are, it, it, it highlights how important it is that we win. I mean, you know, three things that we're we're talking about is the Democrats stopped the, the governor and Republicans for, in Richmond from doing. You know, first they want to pass a bill that if you are a drug dealer and you're distributing um, fentanyl and somebody dies, you should potentially be charged with murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Democrats said, no, nope, we're we're going to protect the drug dealers. Outrageous. <laughs> I mean, there's just rough. How is that even? How is that? It's the, but that was their talking point on it. You know, second, we said, look, if you are a minor and your minor has access to TikTok or some of these other technologies out there, they shouldn't be able to capture a minor's information and sell it to anybody they want without restrictions. Right. Democrats said, nope, you're gonna, we're gonna stand with big tech. You can take their data. You can sell it to whomever, whatever website to source it. You mm. can do it. <laughs> or third, I mean, the most egregious one is when Democrats had complete control, they've decided to tie our environmental policies to what comes out of Sacramento and, and San Francisco. It's just wild. And and so they passed a law that we tried to repeal that says in a few years, you can no longer buy a gas-powered car or truck in Virginia. The <laughs> only option will be electric vehicles. <laughs> and that Californians get to dictate our energy policy in Virginia. We tried to repeal it, and the Democrats said, nope, we're going to let Californians determine our economic interests. Just I mean, lo- that's what's stake. Loaded rocks into their backpack, and they're dragging it around. I mean, yeah, that right. is just, those are three unbelievable issues. And then the other issue that Yunkin has, has talked about eloquently, and I think is, you know, arguably a huge part of why he was elected in the first place, is education. Mm-hmm. And making sure that people understand that a Republican governor has got positions that stand in stark contrast to what we've seen out of the Democrats that were highlighted through COVID and everything else. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, for so long, too many candidates in our party just wouldn't touch the education totally. issue. They were, they were afraid of it. And the governor leaned in and said, I, we can all agree we want higher academic standards for our kids. We all believe we need the best teachers possible. But there has to be some accountability. There has mm-hmm. to allow parents to be involved. You know, I think, you know, Terry said the quiet part out loud, <laughs> you know, but that that's what they believe. And now you see some of the backtracking on on this where, you know, the teachers unions are saying, oh, well, we really wanted the students back in school. No, yeah. you didn't. <laughs> no, you. I mean, Virginia kids were out for almost a year and a yeah. half. Yeah. yeah. And that's learning loss that is it's going to be tough to make up. I mean, that's a generational shift. And now they're trying to come back. And say, oh, no, no, we wanted them back right away. No. I mean, it's just it's it, 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 hilarious it, yeah. nonsense. And so, to the governor, I mean, he said we're going to tackle this issue head on. Mm-hmm. It's a way for us to 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 win voters over because it's the right issue. Yeah. It's getting parents involved in their kids' education. We we saw that loud, and we're seeing it. And frankly, it's the number two or three issue in all of our target districts because parents are, for the first time when they were home, they actually got to see what their kids were learning through Zoom. Yeah, and it wasn't what they thought their kids were learning, and so they've become much more engaged, which is a good thing. Yeah, well, here's one of the things I just love about Yunkin and the work that you're doing, Rex Road, on this is if for a lot of people across the country may not realize you get one term as mm-hmm. a governor, one consecutive term. So you get your four years. And not surprisingly, an awful lot of his predecessors start looking around uh, a couple of years in, you know, they're not as focused on what it is that they ran for and they start sort of entertaining other offers. Yonkin, despite the fact that everybody nationwide is constantly talking about him mm-hmm. as a presidential candidate or this or that, uh, you're doing what you're doing, focusing on the job he was elected to, trying to get reinforcements so he can have 
a productive final couple years of his term. And that ain't easy when you've got all the atmospherics mm-hmm. and noise going around. It is. I mean, he he's been layers folk on this. You know, you're the first person that's ever said to me that he, you know, that people are trying to recruit him to do something else. <laughs> that's news to me. Isn't that something? That's yeah. something. Yeah. No, I, I mean, get zero inquiries. <laughs> none, none at all. Um, but no, he he has been laser focused. That this is what his priority is. I mean, that's you know, you know, he reached out to me after I left the RGA. He's like, look, I want you to come down and focus on these House Senate races because I did it a decade ago for Bob McDonald. Yeah. Um, he's like, how do how did you flip the Senate and gain seats in the House a decade ago? So. I just have a lot more technology now than we had a decade ago. He's like, this is our focus. This is all I'm I'm focusing on. And yes, I mean the the media inquiries are are quite often, but I mean you know a couple weeks ago or last week, you know you obviously had Governor DeSantis and and Tim Scott at the Iowa State Fair and the governors down at the Salem Fair. Yeah, you know yeah. working with candidates and you've yeah. got you know Governor Haley and Governor Christie doing town halls in New Hampshire and Governor you know Youngkin's doing Parents Matter town halls in Prince William and Fairfax and Loudoun. Yeah. He yeah. is solely focused on Virginia because to your point, you know, in in early 2021 when he was running for governor, I'm from Virginia. I know the state and I, I met with all the candidates he said the good news is, you know, the ED of the RJ is from Virginia. <laughs> the bad news is I'm from Virginia. You're not going to be able to BS me yeah. <laughs> whether or not you can win this race or not. Yeah, and at right. that point, look, Virginia had not elected a Republican statewide. Oh, you could see why you'd be skeptical. Yeah, very skeptical. <laughs> right. You know, the last statewide win was in 2009. Yeah. You know, this is a state that has just not only gone blue, but hard Deep. blue. Yeah. And that in the matter of, you know, two years, we could have, you know, the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, Republican House, Republican Senate, and have gained seats among our congressional delegation heading into 2024, where, you know, we may have one targeted congressional race open yeah. and the opportunity to potentially flip our entire congressional delegation in a matter of three years. I mean, that's a lot of improvement oh. in a state that, you know, hasn't been a battleground really since since 2012. It really is. And it doesn't it doesn't just happen by fiat. I mean, you guys have worked for it little by little year after year. And like just like we were talking about, it's the you know, we talked a lot about the state races, but you just mentioned the on the federal side mm-hmm. next next year with the midterm, there's a chance to maybe make a pickup for Republicans mm-hmm. in this Abigail Spamberger mm-hmm. district. What do you what do you, how do you handicap that race? Look, it's it's a pure toss up district. Mm-hmm. Um and it's look if you look at our maps this year, within that district are two targeted state senate races and three, three and a half targeted house races. Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna get a lot of data. Out we're gonna a lot of data out of it. Where everything's going back into the into the ecostream. So everything we collect is gonna be back into the RNC system. And it'll be available for all of our candidates. Yep. You know, for for the next few years. But you're gonna be able to see on the ground the the ground forces that's gonna be built up by these candidates because we're investing in door knocking mm-hmm. and phone banking and volunteer recruitment. And so you're gonna have built up a very large and active army in you know Prince William and Stafford where. You know, those have been struggling areas for us in recent yeah. years. And so I think heading into that, you know, there'll always be a primary. I don't think we'll we'll get out of it uh, quite as as clearly as we did in house races this year. Um, but I think it's a phenomenal pickup opportunity for us. And again, that that's another seat that we can certainly use to increase our margin in the house, mm-hmm. um, but would have an impact. And I, I think, you know, I think Abigail Spammer is looking at running in in 2025 um that's yeah. obviously not something we need to focus on until we get through election day 2023 right but you know if if we can flip that seat it does kind of ding her a little bit as as we do head into that 2025 election I cycle mean, look, this is what party building looks like and mm-hmm. sounds like right so, so for those of you across the country not in virginia 
these are the questions you ask governors and you ask senators and people who have responsibility of part of party building around them. Are they doing these things? Mm -hmm. Because it does take an incredible amount of commitment in addition to governing. And we've seen so many states just sort of drop the ball on this. Yet some states, what you're doing in Virginia is just blows my mind awesome. You've seen Governor Reynolds do it in Iowa over the years, but there's an awful lot of states where people think that you just sort of get elected and you know, then you can go around and cut ribbons and mm -hmm. kiss babies and then everybody will be just elected by fiat out of your popularity and it just doesn't work that way. No, and look, if you go back and look at, if you want to look at you know presidential politics, the states that typically are the battlegrounds that we win are where you have a Republican governor with a strong state party. Yeah, that's I mean, 100% right. And because at the end of the day, it's that, state parties are, are really uh, an apparatus of the governor and their ability to to turn out voters and build enthusiasm and excitement has a major impact when it comes to the federal races as well. Oh, it's just I can't I can't say enough good things about all of this. Uh, Dave, tell me if people want to follow along, if they want to contribute to the effort, if they're Virginians and they're just sort of want to even move bodies and help you deliver lit, where do they go? Sure. Uh, so if you obviously there are our ABEV efforts, you know, uh, secureyourvotevirginia.com or spiritofvirginia.org are the two organizations where you can go to. Well, he's the chairman of Spirit of Virginia, and he's a very big deal and a very talented <laughs> uh, operative, and I appreciate your time here today. Absolutely. Dave Rexroad, thanks for coming. Thanks for having us on. Well, the guy's obviously got a good head on his shoulders and a great plan for turning the state around. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, that's how you ought to party build. The guy just explained it in you know, 20 minutes, exactly what every governor in this country needs to be doing. I mean, Yunkin's just like knocking out win after win. Yeah. That's, a, that's a record. That's yeah. a hell of a record. They're doing a hell of a job. They're doing a hell of a job. All right, so one thing that we're not going to have time to go into too deeply, and I don't really want to because I want to do some analysis, the DeSantis reboot. Yeah. Um, so obviously he's taking a different tact. The, the stories from last week about laying off a third of the staff and this, that, and the other thing. There's a bunch of, uh, you're going to read over the next two days, you're going to read a bunch of reports about his pack and the never back down pack and their expenses. And, you know, that may or may not be great for him too. But he has taken a little bit of a different approach. You saw him do Megyn Kelly. Uh, and those clips came out over the weekend, our good friend over there. I watched the full interview. She did an incredible job. Great job. She did an incredible job, and I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, the thing is, is what has uh, angered a lot of people who've had a lot of respect for Ron DeSantis, as we have on this program, is that when they rolled out this campaign, they didn't use the man's strengths exactly how they should be. Mm -hmm. And she's going to ask you tough questions, no question about it. Why avoid it? Because the guy can handle Mm-hmm that stuff and dealing with a pressure of tough questions when you have answers it only helps a candidate like ron desantis like you know putting him in front of kids with snow cones and shit like that i guess you got to do it but it's not his strength his strength is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody who's trying to challenge him right and there you saw it it was out there well and she asked not just like the questions he would want to answer but like the tough questions that have been circulating around in the primary from attacks from Donald Trump and yep. all of this sort of stuff. And I think he really did a good job because I mean, he cannot he can just go like 10 layers deep on issues. Yeah. And I think I mean, it's a great, like to your point, it showcases his policy depth and his ability to defend himself in a way that like he has to get into that practice, man. I mean, we're getting close to the debate. Yeah. The dude's he's got depth. He's yeah. got a, a breadth of experience. He's not making decisions that are, are based just sort of on like a gut call of what he watched on days of our lives. Like he, he just he knows stuff. Yeah. And presenting that 
on a fairly routine basis seems to me like it would make for a decent strategy. You know, my advice to him, what he should do this idea of like a campaign reboot or refresh or whatever they're doing, get a, a, a bus. Get in the bus and just go everywhere. And that's it. Like this, the whole straight talk express type of approach, you're going to cut costs, like to the bone, cut costs. Just get as many people together at events and just take the bus out there. Go to as many counties as you can in Iowa. Go to as many parts of New Hampshire as you can. Get out there. Do it. If it's if you can get one or two people at a restaurant, hassle them. Do it. You know, well, just take the bus. You know, cut all the costs for for airfare, overhead, everything else you're doing. Get a bus and get out there. I do think this new effort to get him out there more is actually paying dividends uh, for a lot of reasons. But one of them, I think, is it reminds people why he's in this race. You know why he's at the table, and it's because he stood in the face of all the pressure in the world in the state of Florida when the whole media and the whole government and everybody was against him, and he stuck up for his constituents mm -hmm. that depended on him. And you don't hear as much of that in the context of his primary campaign against these other Republicans who are out there pushing their own messages and saying that they're better and yada, yada, yada. But it, it's, it actually does, like this Megyn Kelly interview he did, there was a lot of conversation in that interview that was just like, oh, I, you know what? I forgot. I forgot that. about that. I forgot yeah. how much how much shit he was taking from everybody for standing up and doing the right thing when it was hard. And that's what Republican primary voters really, really respect as somebody who's doing the right thing when it's a hard thing to do. Also, he's opening the aperture now. And the one thing that I've been critical about from the beginning with the DeSantis campaign that I think has played out pretty accurately is the idea that they're going to go get a bunch of hardcore Trump voters to vote for somebody not Trump when Trump is in the race. Yep. And that's basically what they started off trying to do, trying to replicate a Trump message and go directly at that. And in, in, in doing so, also just sort of pushed aside the rest of the party. And the problem is, is that in January and February, when he was neck and neck with Donald Trump, it's because the rest of the party saw him as the alternative to Donald Trump. And I don't need to remind you, look at a state poll in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Donald Trump's around 45%. And there's at least 30% that aren't going anywhere no matter what. Mm -hmm. That means that there's anywhere from 55 to 65% of the electorate that is open for business on somebody other than Trump. It's not like they haven't heard Trump's pitch. But that means that you've got a huge amount of the electorate that's open for another point of view. Let me just suggest that if that point of view is exactly the same as Donald Trump, you're just overlapping mm -hmm. right you're basically just becoming the same thing now i understand he needs to strip some off of donald trump but donald trump's only grown since he's been in this race trying to figure out where you can go talk to the part part of the republican party that is not in that hardcore 30 percent is incredibly important for if anybody's going to be serious about challenging donald trump and so far desantis has not done that it looks in the reboot like they've recalculated and he may be trying well and the other thing is in the mirroring of donald trump that desantis did when he came out of the gate as his poll numbers have decreased it's not you know like obviously trump had some consolidation around the indictment stuff and and, yeah. and you know that strengthened his position but it also like what ate out of DeSantis went to Nikki Haley. It went to Tim Scott. It yeah. went to, you know, it those... just scattered to the wind. Right. Rather than right. accepting the premise that Ron DeSantis had set out that this is a two man race. Right. In the two, three weeks after he rolled out his campaign, everybody was like, eh, I'm not sure it is. Yeah. And they went in, in several different places. But the, the polling is interesting on this, though, because like 
it, there is a majority now, at least from that that New York Times poll that had just some really interesting crosstabs. There is a majority of Republican primary voters who would like another candidate, not Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. To your point of like, there yeah. is a thirty percent. Maybe you get it to forty, forty-five percent. Um, and that's a national poll. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but the interesting thing also is like, even half of the people today who say they are voting for Donald Trump are still open to other candidates. They're not just only Trump. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just. You know, it's just very hard because we're just addicts for the stuff and reading all these polls to think like this is the way things are. But I think for the vast majority of our primary primary voters right now, they're casually paying attention to it. Yeah. You know, no one's really, really making a firm decision. I think it's a lot more fluid than people realize. And the last thing I want to add is, you know, echoing what Ashbrook said is watching that Megyn Kelly interview when they were discussing all these very successes that Ron DeSantis had that I'd forgotten about. I was like, oh, wow. If Ron DeSantis isn't careful, Bergen could take the accomplished governor lane from him, right under him. But like we, love, we love some Bergen. When people start seeing his list of what he has knocked out as governor, they're going to be like, well, damn, this guy actually delivers. You know, he's got a lot of work to try to improve his name ID, but as you heard from here on the program, like, the guy did a pretty good media tour when he came through D.C. Yeah. And he certainly improved his prospects. Anyway, we're going to be uh, talking all about that on Thursday. We're going to be giving you some campaign spending updates so you'll see kind of what's happening as these guys follow and file their reports. Um, But in the interim, we got a good interview here, Hung Kao. Yeah. Let's go to him. I want to welcome to the program one of our favorite old guests. Guy just did a bang-up job in his last interview here. He was running for Congress at the time. He's retired Navy captain who's now a Senate candidate, Hung Kao. Welcome to the program. No, thank you so much for having me. I love this setup. I mean, at least I'm not facing you guys like Hunter Biden will be with with the other people. (laughs) (laughs) Just right off the top with the Hunter Biden blast. Came ready to play. Um, Liz, for those of, of, of the audience who made a grave error in not listening to your first interview on this program, your background's pretty amazing. Uh, let's get a little overview well, for it's, it's the it's the normal typical background it's not right? the normal typical <laughs> background born in vietnam raised in africa i didn't learn english till i was 12 when we moved back here i went to thomas jefferson high school for science and technology the first uh, class to graduate from there i went to the united states naval academy i got my master's in physics and um uh from Naval postgraduate school then i went to harvard mit for fellowships but you know i paid yeah, back just country. bouncing around yeah. you know <laughs> Yeah, but that's a typical, you know, yeah. background for everybody. Just right? couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> no. you know, serving your country, yeah. getting the most prestigious degrees, yeah. all those things. No and problem. I started when I was 12, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Amazing. Now, listen, you've got an incredible story. I think the last time you were here, actually, you gave us the, uh, the Kennedy uh, recovery mission yes. that you were on. You kind of led that operation, did yes. you not? Yeah. yeah, it was the operations officer on the, the USS Grasp. So I was the one in charge of doing the entire search. And then at the end, we had uh, burned out all of our divers, you know, because you can only, because it's sur- uh, surface decompression, so you yeah. can't dive for another 24 hours. And so I was the last clean diver, and they came up and was like, sir, you got to suit up. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? I, I haven't slept in three days. Surely there's, there's some safety uh, things yeah. for this. They're like, no, you got to go down. And, so you, I, and you found the plane. Yes. That's just a, it was an incredible story, which immediately we thought of you, and we'll get into the politics in a second, but we immediately thought of you when we had uh, a couple of months ago that submersible that imploded looking for the Titanic. I imagine you were a pretty uh, hot commodity 
people want to know your opinion on that. Yeah, job. they want to know what the recovery process was. They're like, that's 12,000 feet. You know, the deepest are uh, DSRVs, which is deep submerged re uh, rescue vehicles, can go is 2,000 feet. Oh, wow. But past 1,000, they don't want to open the hatch because there's no way to reseal it. Mm. I mm. said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, there's just no way to recover these guys, uh, you know, yeah. and, and save their lives. I mean, we can recover the bodies and everything, but we can't recover the... Um, them intact we can't re re um, I mean it's implosion I mean at that depth I mean just think and at a thousand feet if I, we dove to a thousand feet it takes 11 days to decompress and come back up oh. yeah 11 days in the chamber to recompress I mean it's mm. it's dark down there and that's another thing you can't see anything yeah, yeah. Right. so when we do these missions <clears throat> everything's recorded because it's top secret and uh, things bump you yeah. <laughs> like, things bump you and you're like you know, and you can't say, oh my gosh, well, you, know, you freak out. So, so then the guys watching from the monitors will tell you, clear. Mm. But if it's something, you know, that, that, that's really big, they'll say, kinertia, which means it can hurt you. So you need to start moving your way back to the, the submarine. Yeah, okay. So like a shark or something. Oh, something bigger than that. Wow. Yeah, there's things down there. Like a whale? Yeah. Now, there's something even bigger than that when, and you need to really haul up a butt is when they say, kinetia. Because it can eat you, yeah. and, that, <laughs> and that's when, and that's when you see the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but there's there's a lot of things at the bottom of the ocean that we we still don't know down down there. It's 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 wow. a big scary place. Oh sometimes. man! Wow, and I can't even I can't even imagine pitch black. You can't see a single thing, and you're just <laughs> waiting for somebody to say Kanicha, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it, all of a sudden, you hear it, and you're like, <laughs> like a giant squid. You know, I know. Oh. What's the wildest thing you saw down there? Oh gosh, I mean, we, you know, um, when I dove on the USS Monitor, that's the ironclad from Civil War, and yeah. cover that. I mean, there's schools of, uh, obviously, like huge barracudas. I mean, ginormous. And these things love shiny stuff, and our, our helmets are all shiny, so they'll come right up to your face, you know? Jeez. And, you know, and there's always, you know, once in a while there's a shark or two, but that's why you have a knife, so you can stab your buddy and swim away. <laughs> 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 Gotta get out of there somehow, right? Holy smokes. Incredible. Well, listen, we followed your race last year uh, very closely, in large part because you had the graciousness to come in here, share your story, which we thought was incredibly compelling, thought you made for an incredible candidate. Turns out 2022 is a pretty bad year for Republicans, despite all of the optimism going into it. Came up a little bit short, but my sense is, based upon where you're sitting right now, you learned a few things and you think you can... Uh, do a little better in a Senate race this time around. Absolutely. I learned, the biggest lesson I learned is that we can win Virginia mm. because I took the most, one of the most blue districts, the most suburban district in all of Virginia, where Joe Biden won by uh, 19%. Mm -hmm. We took it down to less than 6%. We moved that 13%. Yeah. If you look at all of Virginia, Joe Biden only won that by 10%. And places like Virginia Beach, and Roanoke, those are my second homes. Mm -hmm. I was stationed in Virginia Beach um, multiple times. My in-laws lived in Roanoke for 30 years. We know that area. And so we can really get the people out, especially in southwestern Virginia, like in places like Wise and Bristol. We can do that. Mm -hmm. And we get more, the more people get out there, the better it'll be for Republicans. Well, you, you must have sort of fallen in love with the process because look it's not for everybody right i mean first time candidates particularly if you're unsuccessful ultimately it goes one of two ways people are like wow i hate that i can't believe i just did that you must have loved it no, i mean i love meeting people that's the best part and even today uh, well even before I, I announced people were stopping me on the streets and saying thank you for running thank you for mm -hmm. for representing us even democrats came up and say you know what 
I didn't vote for you, but I love how what an honorable campaign you ran. Mm-hmm. So we we can sway those people. I mean, I had people at Google. I mean, people at Google that came up and said, "I voted for you." <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're not exactly the hub of uh, conservatism, but yeah. they they said that because they said I seem you know um, more trustworthy. Yeah. Wow, it's just fascinating. Yeah. No, I mean. You know, a lot of people go through this process and get sort of jaded by politics. And I think right now at a time where everything's so divisive, particularly when it comes to like the presidential primary and all of this sort of stuff, you know, what what sort of message do you have to Virginians in the Senate race? You Virginians need somebody that's going to fight for them. I mean, we're tired of bureaucrats. We're tired of, you know, career politicians. We want people that are, that are going to go out there and fight for us. Yeah. And that's what I've done my entire life. I fought for, for the United States and I fought for Virginia. And now we've got to fight back, fight for, for you know, for our children, for our families, for, for people that we know. Because, you know, our, our freedoms are being trampled over and we need to... We need to fight back. Well, you had a compelling video. I'll, I'll tell you. You're, you, you launched your campaign with a video that certainly caught our attention and probably a whole lot of others because it was a really sort of, first of all, it's beautiful, well done, but it was the message was exactly as you just said. It's time to, time to go fight. No, you're absolutely right. I, it was a speech I had given up in Congress uh, three months before at um, the Victims of Communism um, uh, Symposium. And and my team said, that's what we're going to use. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, it was a, as a joke, I came in dressed like Zelensky, right? I wore a green T-shirt. They're like, that's what you're going to wear. Like, no, no, I have a whole wardrobe. <laughs> they're like, no, no, we're going to wear that. I'm like, okay, I just worked out in this, but okay, fine. <laughs> so you did, you delivered that in a T-shirt? Yes, a T-shirt and jeans. <laughs> I, I didn't even change. I mean, we were, they're like, no, we're going to shoot and like that. I'm like, no, I'm wearing a T-shirt. I'm like, no, it's fine. Well, I got to imagine you motivated a fair number of people because it, it certainly caught our attention. And and that's what you need. In the races like this, Virginia has been plagued with career politicians who have served as governor and then went on to the Senate and then basically rubber stamp as sort of an establishment Democrat point of view now as long as I can remember. And you're going to need a lot of resources to try to combat that. Uh, how's that going so far? So we are on day 13, and as of this morning, we had 6,200 donors there you go. from across the nation. 6,200 donors. I don't want to give away the, how much we got, but we've we pretty much outraised the people that, that have been in for a while. And, and But the fact is that people believe in us, and, mm-hmm. and the only way they can tell show that they're going to support you is really through their wallets. And so the fact that 6,200 donors have have given us their hard-earned money it's it's pretty it's pretty good but you know again it's gonna be a very expensive fight remember this guy was the bag man for the dnc <laughs> yeah he knows how to shake all the trees yeah he's gonna get to 20 million very quickly mm-hmm. and so we're very responsible with our money we're very i mean very frugal last time we were we had a very small staff because i wanted to be a good steward of the money that people gave us yeah yeah. Money is not always determinative, as you know, you know, I mean, you look at a guy like Terry McAuliffe, who ran against Glenn Youngkin, and he was a bag man, too, right? Yep. I mean, famously so, big time bundler. Um, and, you know, Glenn Youngkin won that race because he talked to the issues that were animating the electorate and things like education and parents. And if you're going to win Virginia, you got to do better than we've done in previous cycles in, in some of these suburban areas. So how do you how do you plan on doing that? Well, we did that last time. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's why I got I got 13 people percent of the people who voted Democrat before to vote for me. So mm-hmm. we did do that. And we'll continue to do that. We're going to talk to the parents. I mean, I went to every mosque mm-hmm. in northern Virginia. 
all four services on Fridays. I went to I, I my poor campaign manager ate more curry than, <laughs> than any person. You know when we went, go to temples on on, uh, on Saturday, but that's what we did. We went and talked to them where we met them where they 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 feel comfortable at their mosques at their at their um, you know on their channel. So like the Vietnamese people love going on YouTube. You know, we went on YouTube. The Chinese people love WeChat and they love the Chinese newspapers. The Koreans love the, the, the church. And so we met people where they they want to, uh, you know, they most feel comfortable. And that's how we were able to reach out to everybody. People that never voted before came out to vote for us. Awesome. But there are a lot of big problems in the country right now, the economy being chief among them. Obviously, inflation is up and down, but prices really at the grocery store, if you've been lately, they are really high. The border is a problem. Fentanyl is coming over and destroying these rural communities. I mean, it's getting into the cities too, but I mean, rural communities talk about it like it's an epidemic. So I'm just wondering, like, what are the top two or three issues you're hearing about most on the trail? And uh, and, and what are you thinking about doing about each of them? Right. So the first thing is, you know, safety and security are our country. I mean, I, I spent a lifetime defending our country. I know how to defend our country. We need to really, really we need to bolster up the military. But also at home and on our border, we need to secure the border, and we also need to secure uh, and support the police departments mm-hmm. and the sheriff's offices. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the security starts with our streets and it works its way to the border and out outwards. And then the economy, we have to be energy independent. I know people say that, but yeah. no one really talks about how do we get there, right? In Virginia, for example, hydroelectric is very huge. Also, nuclear power. We need to, and I'm, I'll note nerd out for a second here. Because, no, please, let's but, go. Yeah. So, you know, everybody hears nuclear and they're so scared. But the thing is that nuclear is extremely uh, efficient and, and safe, especially especially if you, instead of uranium. Because when we first came up with nuclear power, we went with one source, which is uranium, because you can uh, use it, you know, either for weapons or for for nuclear power plants. But we can go with thorium, right? Thorium, we put a plutonium plug in there. It can never go super critical because as it gets too hot, it pops out the plutonium plug and it's no longer fizzle. Mm. And so you can do it safely. But people hear nuclear and they get scared. Mm. We've been using it safely in the Navy for 75 years. Mm. We, with that, there takes a lot of water to cool it. And when you cool it, then they can evaporate it in a four-stage distiller. Now you have unlimited water source. I want this clean, guy running the Department of Energy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Don't wish that. I mean, but imagine California without a drought. Mm. Like imagine California yeah. without a drought. You can, you know, but but they don't want to do that. So mm-hmm. let's be energy independent. And not only that, we can export energy. And then if we export energy to say Mexico, then we control the border because then th- then we can say, look, I'm going to cut off your power if you don't secure this border. Mm. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to secure the border. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then the, finally, let's education. Education is the only pathway out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And we it's not just you know send everybody to college. We can do vocational schools. I mean, I homeschool yeah. my kids, so I know I can teach them all the basics between eight and 12. Imagine if they go down to Norfolk and learn how to be a pipe fitter, how to be a welder, yeah. right? And work in a shipyard. Now we're keeping them away from gangs. They're working from noon to, to six, learning a trade, bring them some money for their family, take them down Roanoke, work on the railway. Up here, we have the data centers, we have industry. We, Virginia can be really the 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 
richest state in the union because we have so many resources. We have means to, to teach the young kids, uh, you know, everything they need to learn. So you and, don't oh, think the, the four-year uh, liberal arts degree in gender studies is getting it done anymore? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, if you do that, then you still need to go to a vocational school. Yeah. 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 still actually need to learn something that will help you and your community. No question about it. So I assume that what you're doing is traveling all over Ellingon, meeting people and going outside of the district that you'd already campaigned in and introducing yourself absolutely yeah so we're, we're we're like yesterday we were down in R richmond at the nascar it doesn't get oh American yeah how was that it was great i mean did you go to the race yes yes nice. we we're down by the pits too watching and then we're standing by uh uh chris bosher where yeah he ended up winning that's his first win of the season it's great so it's it's amazing to to be down there with you know was that your first nascar race no, I've gotten a couple of races, but it was really you the first time I've gotten... you're a NASCAR down. guy? No, 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 no. I've been to a couple of them, but because yeah. uh, one of my roommates from the academy, his family owned a car a long time ago up in Long Island, so wow. I went to a couple of races, but but really I've never been to the pits like this. Yeah, before. that's amazing. Yeah. It's loud, right? Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, I couldn't, you know, you, to, to speak to someone, you had to scream in their ear and they scream back and, <laughs> you know, you know like, <laughs> Well, they can meet a hell of a lot of people down there, that's for Absolutely. sure. And they're all conservative. Yeah, no kidding. You're not going to get a lot of disagreement. You no. walk through the infield and you're going to find a lot of people nodding along. Exactly. <laughs> well, you got to get them all to vote. <laughs> yes. And one of the things, I mean, we talked to uh, to Yunkin and, and Yunkin's team, Dave Rexrode and others, about prioritizing early vote. And they obviously have the off-year elections here coming up for legislative offices. And they're trying to figure out how to get as many people to vote early to so, sort of even out that disparity that we've seen traditionally in the last couple of years with the Democrats have going the advantage that they have going into election day. That's obviously got to help you in the long run. Absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, we're helping all the candidates come along also and get the vote out because you never know what will happen on vac uh, on voting day, right? You know, you, uh, you know, God forbid something happens when your kids, you know, they're sick or, yep. or you, you get a car accident. You don't know. There's 45 days of early voting. I mean, this young lady in Middleburg was like, I wanted to vote for you, but it was my birthday. I'm like, <laughs> my, my wife was so mad. She just turned around and walked away because she's uh -oh. like, are you kidding me? But you had 45 days to do. But it's that's it's that's. I mean, You're like, it's I, cool. I just dedicated my life to it. Yeah, no uh, big deal. You know, I hope you had a happy one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we. But we need to get everybody out there because you never know what happens on, on um, voting day. So get out there. And then on voting day, then grab your neighbors and your friends and say, hey, did you vote yet? Get, get, get your butt in the car right now. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you've got experience now and you've seen the process play out once before. Are there things that you learned in that that you think that are just totally applicable here? Maybe it's early vote. Maybe it's going to certain communities multiple times. Anything that you're sort of using as your experience now. Absolutely. We're just building on everything we, we uh, learned last time. But like I said, we learned that Virginia is definitely winnable. We just need to get out there. We need to get our voice out there. We need to get your voice out there, right? I mean, the best way is to 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 commercials. And we can't get everything what we believe in out there. I mean, she was destroying me every day with, he's an extremist. He's, he's Which has got to be rough, right? I mean, the guy yes. with your background, 
served your country as long as you did, the extraordinary resume that you have, and then you walk into a political race, they're like, hey, this guy's a Trump extremist. Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> okay. I know. So what we have now is, uh, is uh, I'm going to tell your audience now, but we have a bingo card with all the words that they're going to use, like, you know, uh, white supremacist. Uh, <laughs> Which is that? The- <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. You, you, caught, you caught that one last yeah, time, too? Yes, yeah, so they called me a white because I was white adjacent or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, you're like, are you kidding me? Sure. But yeah, he's a Just Bible thumper. Read. He's a gun-toting nut. Uh, he's a, what else do they call it? Threat to democracy. That's all he's about. Oh, yeah, So yeah. we have this bingo card. You definitely led interaction. Yeah. No question yeah. about that. I mean, Jesus, it's like amazing that anybody buys any of that stuff. I know, but they do. They Some people, like, they even called, some people in my company called the, uh, you know, my boss and go, why are we hiring an ex- extremist? And he's like, do you even know him? Wow. So... It's but, just, it's, it's, it makes you sick. That's but we'll make a game out of this, right? So a bingo card, like every time when they do it, you, you, you knock it off and whoever whoever gets the, fills in the bingo card first will get a prize. <laughs> See, that's the kind of yeah. attitude you got to have. Because, I mean, look, in this line of work, particularly in a Senate race, which I've argued other than a presidential, there is no amount of scrutiny that you get more than that, more amount of money that's spent doing that. Uh, and it, everyone's going to come at you with all kinds of things left and right. And if you have a good attitude about it yeah. and you can kind of brush it off and move on about your business and, of getting people to vote for you. Look, I've been shot at. I've been blown up. It's seriously, this is nothing. This, this is, is, yeah. this is not, <laughs> bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I just love it. So, you know, you're having fun. I, I am. Like I said, the best part about running for office is meeting people yeah. people, and, and just seeing the, the light in their eyes that said, you know, thank you for standing up for what I believe in. And so it's time to fight back. And the only way to fight back is either run for office or support someone who does. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I hate to say this part too, but a lot of our attacks come from our own side Yeah. because you know, if you don't, here's the thing with the Democrats, if they have 10 issues, you have one that comes close, then you're in the club. But for us, we have ten issues. If one of them you don't agree on, then you're you're, you're a rhino. You're yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Right. And, and so, but it's like it's like this. I, I said this the other day, and let's see how it works with your audience. But we all love hamburgers, right? I mean, yeah. But I look. I don't like onions on my hamburger. I like relish. I like ketchup. You wow, like rhino. Else. Huge rhino. <laughs> <laughs> relish. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Get him out of the party. Exactly. Yeah. But that that we all want burgers, and that burger is freedom. And so just go out. You. Let's just agree on that we don't want vegan, right? We yeah. Want, we want a good juicy burger. That's that's what we want. That's freedom. And let's just go after the same goal and not try to tear each other down. Uh, it's a yeah. really good message because we have, in particularly in, in Virginia, figured out how to shoot ourselves in the foot in the primary process. Yes. You obviously are going to go through that. And, you know, nobody that we've recognized yet has filed against you, but I understand there's perennial candidates and everything. you got to go through that. How do you go about that process in Virginia and understand making people understand that you are a conservative, which you are without getting yourself sideways with a Northern Virginia electorate that, you know, wants a kind of a perception that Glenn Youngkin had in 21, that's a thoughtful problem solver kind of approach. How do you go about knitting all of that together and say what? Well, that's that was whole my whole life is I solve problems. I'm I'm a fixer. I fix things. I look at a problem and I, I get it done. I don't try, uh, you know we don't debate it. We don't litigate it. Just just look for a problem and take care of it and move on to the next thing. And that's that's the story of my life. And you know right now I have one target, one target only. It's Tim Kaine, and he's within 
two days. So we, we filed uh, under the cover of darkness in, in J- July 3rd because we wanted to make sure we didn't have a a failed to launch moment yeah. like certain candidates. Yeah. So, <laughs> We've observed. So, and so, and so, so we, um, we, we filed it under darkness and they found out and with, as soon as they found out, man, they already came, uh, he, T- uh, Tim Kaine came out and said, I have a real race now, ladies and gentlemen. And then as soon as I announced, 12 hours later, man, the, the emails started going out. We have a an NRC picked, you know, right wing MAGA, you know, again, wh- white supremacist, wh- <laughs> the whole thing, right? Yeah. Anti-democracy guy. It's like, oh my goodness. Preposterous. And, and they, but they, they went out and that's all he's been fundraising on is running against me. So I, I'm obviously his only target uh, yeah. because he understands that I can I can take him down. And so that's that's my only target right now. I don't, you know, I we're all running in the same direction. That's what happened last time. I had 11 candidates against me in the congressional race, and we yeah, won by right. more than 20% because I was not running against them. I was running in the same direction. I just crossed the line before they did. Mm. Mm, cool. That's a really good way of putting it. I mean, look, we've got this problem in Senate races all over the country, but we also learn a little something along the way. And for you, I think to get super competitive in this race, obviously you've got to win the primary, got to put yourself in position to win. You're going to need help from outside too, because yes. Democrats have an enormous war chest through super PACs and their committee and whatnot, where they outspend Republicans relatively significantly. What do you think you need to do to get into a position in Labor Day of 24 where people are excited about jumping into Virginia and winning this race? We need to show that Virginia is winnable, and we need to do it through, again, just getting people excited about us. And you know, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, we're there's different is there tiers. A point right? at, is there a point at the polls where you're like, okay, this is where we need to be? Yes, I think is if he's if he's within you know if he's within three or four points from the middle, like you know if he's like fifty one, fifty two. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an analyst, but I'm telling you that right now that I don't want to move the tiers up too much, right? Because you've got the different tiers. You got the hey, you can kill somebody and you're gonna win win this race, right? <laughs> That's the sixth tier. The fifth tier is like hey, you can cure cancer and you'll never win this. Yeah. But then the fourth, third, and second first tier, like first tier being Montana, West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, He's done the, his homework. Yeah. Too. So we don't want to move up to those that tier too fast because then. You're then the Democrats the will come in. No, the Democrats will come in with their money. Let them spend money in the other places and then creep up at the last minute, where our, you know, we'll have help from the outside. Yeah. When they start seeing, just like last time, you know, we were. Uh, they said there's no way for this guy to win, but then we were on the news. We were like, hey, if if Hunkow is the bellwether, if if he wins, then then there'll be a red wave. And so, but at least we got the attention we needed, and now we're. It's going to be, it's going to be better. I'm telling you right now, we're we're in a good position and that's why tim kane's so scared if people want to help your campaign where do they go to hungforvirginia.com again last time i said something off color like you know <laughs> hot, <laughs> hot asian dudes.com but don't don't do that <laughs> especially not at work don't do that at work no, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's h-u-n-g be careful for with that google yeah. search yeah it's uh h-u-n-g for va.com and you know and Again, just just read up on this. But what I'm asking your audience is get everybody know, just five bucks. That's all we need is just get get because then we can really get that that base out there. Because yeah. look, times are hard for everybody. You said it yourself. Your inflation is all time high, right? And uh, the interest rates are higher than they were in 22 years. Our country is falling apart. We're getting invaded in the southern border. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's hurting. I mean, groceries. I mean, I went with my wife. I'm like, I got five kids. I'm like, okay, can we? 
trade one of them out or yeah. no, but, <laughs> <laughs> no but it's 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 expensive and so you know you can't ask hey give me ten thousand dollars you can't well that's you can't do that but you know you you can't ask for i think that if we get three you know five dollars per person I, I think it's gonna be good and i'm telling you right now the vietnamese community is very strong behind me right now there i would be the first vietnamese american to be elected to the u.s senate wow on the f- and inaugurate on the 50th anniversary of fall Saigon. Wow. wow that's wow, the american that dream historic. coming full circle right totally. so they're really proud of the fact that they have somebody that 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 understands their struggles and and what we came here we came here with nothing we didn't ask for anything from this country yeah. just an opportunity we didn't ask for you to you know nobody to to pull us up by the bootstraps or anything we we did ourselves and and we have doctors engineers we have you know everything under the sun that 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 we were able to get from this country and i i, I definitely benefit from it that's why i paid back with 25 years you know fight a different country in iraq afghanistan and somalia well you are literally the dictionary definition of an american patriot and somebody whose american dream is alive and well and continues to be your white supremacy notwithstanding yeah exactly uh, of course <laughs> i think it, i think you should hit him up with your animal question okay well we do have one so you were on here before and we asked you the three questions yes. so We've now we one. do we have one more okay we do have one more we've become something of an animal fighting okay. podcast <laughs> yeah. you've, you've probably heard about this and so we have just a basic Basic question of what is the biggest animal that you think you could take on mano a mano? Hmm. So it depends, right? It depends because it's the motivation. If it's the, and that animal's coming up against my my kids, yeah. Oh, there you go. Then I'm taking. I don't care if it's a bear. I don't care if it's T Rex, right? <laughs> I will be the biggest honey badger out there, and I will take it down because. It's the motivation, and that's why I'm running for office, because they are coming after our kids. They are coming after our families. They're coming after our, our constitution. And if we don't fight now, what, what are we going to leave our children? Yeah. So bring it on. Like, I'll, you know, I think you if it's a rhino. T-Rex? Yeah. T-Rex, yeah. Or I think the answer is a T-Rex. Maybe a yeah, rhino, there you go. maybe a T-Rex. And, and then you could nibble on the vestigial limbs. Yeah, well, they're small arms. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just, that's just dad strength. That's science. That's just dad strength. Listen, Hung Cow, we can't thank you enough for coming back in here. Give us your website one more time. It's hungforva.com. So H-U-N-G for va.com oh, he's gonna need the help of an awful lot of us but he's in it for the right reasons and you make a hell of a senator thanks for Thank coming you. in and sir. i brought you guys a little something oh yeah Uh-oh. oh wow I know how you what do we have here i know how you love the you know the nectar of the gods oh, so we oh, the- wow. oh what a gentleman oh. right after our own heart with <laughs> the this. double oaked woodford hey well it's nice of you to do it at the end of the interview so we didn't get into it too early exactly. you never know what's coming out <laughs> yeah. You do this a little yeah it gets all sorts of crazy questions you yeah. gotta get your message in there and, and it was well played thank you very yeah. much thank Uncow, you so much, ladies and gentlemen i mean hey guys the american dream And, you know, we could only be so lucky as to have somebody like that serving in the United States Senate who's doing it for the right reasons, who inspires others like him to become more involved in the process because he's he's a really good dude. And I hope that that campaign catches on. Think about the opportunity to be the first Vietnamese United States senator sworn in on the anniversary of the fall of Saigon. Yeah, I'd, that was a, I did, had no idea. I mean, that those two dates were aligned. That's absolutely incredible. Totally yeah. incredible. Absolutely amazing. It's definitely got to be something that's got to motivate you to get out there and work every day. Completely. You know? Completely. Well, he's doing a nice job. And we'll we'll keep up with that campaign as well. I think we did it, fellas. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you again to Hung Cow. Thank you so much to Dave Rexroad. And thank you to our listeners. Remember, if you have not yet, subscribe on YouTube. So 
Until next time, minions keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.